We were created by a God who communicates with words. We receive the word of God. Amen? Amen. He spoke the world into creation. And I want to talk to you about this today. Uh, You can write this down at the top of your notes. Words are powerful. Words are powerful, aren't they? You know that the average person spends one-fifth of his or her life talking. Some of you, it's a lot more. Some of you wish you could get your spouse to talk a little bit more. You know, in one day, the average person would speak enough words to fill 50 pages of a book. And in a year, you would fill 143 books, 200 pages long, with the words that you speak. We talk a lot, amen? That's a lot of opportunity to bless and a lot of opportunity to get ourselves in trouble. So we need to know what Proverbs 18.21 says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In chapter 1, James said, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is worthless. And we see that life and death come through the words that we speak. You know, many of you remember a person who early in life encouraged you and built you up with words, and and it led to you having the confidence to go and try something or do something and be who God made you to be. And then others of you, you know, like, I didn't chase a dream that was in my heart because someone discouraged me, and it crushed my spirit. We see that happen all the time. Our words are powerful. Church, you can actually help me preach you a better sermon by responding with your words. You know? So this is one of those churches that responds to the word of God. I'm just going to remind you. It's like the regularly scheduled reminder. Uh, It kind of goes like this. Um, You'll you'll hear something that's true from the Bible, and you'll say, uh, amen. Or uh, you can just try it even right now. Like, that's true. That's good. Wow. Say that again. Preach, white boy. Any of the above. All good responses. And not only do they affirm what God is saying to your own heart, not only does it encourage the people who are sitting around you like, oh, man, these people like actually believe this. It also helps me. So thank you. Thank you very much. I believe that God wants to encourage you today. Our words can bring death. And some of you have unhealthy marriages or unhealthy families or unhealthy workplace environments because of the words that come out of your mouth. On the other hand, words can bring life. Words can bring life. You see in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they blessed their sons with their words. They spoke blessing over their children. And I want to encourage you that way today with words of life. We're going to go to James chapter 3, and we're going to study verses 1 through 12 today. And you can take a Bible out and follow along. I encourage you to do that. We'll put the scriptures up on the screen for you. We're going to go through this passage in four chunks, pretty much. Starting in verse 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Right off the bat, in this passage, we start to get a sense of how important words are. They're powerful. He starts out warning the brothers and sisters of the community of God, not many of you should be teachers in the church. Here's why. Because God is going to judge them more strictly. So think twice before you put yourself under that kind of scrutiny. Now, I think this is a response to what happened in chapter 2. We talked previously about how faith without works is dead. And in that chapter, James kind of says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. I think he was responding to some guy who was going around and teaching incorrectly in the church, right? James is like, yo, some fool is teaching up in here that faith and works are separate. And then he starts this chapter as he talks about controlling our tongues, saying, hey, uh, not many of you should want to be teachers. Because if you're like that guy and you go around teaching falsehood, you're going to be judged more strictly than those who are not teaching. So this is a good reminder. Like sometimes people come to me and they're like, oh, Pastor Ryan, I want to be in ministry. I want to be a preacher. And I'm like, are you sure? Like I want to encourage them. But at the same time, I I want you to know that being a pastor is not like the pinnacle of Christianity. Being like Jesus is the pinnacle of Christianity. Okay. So we can all achieve that, and we will ultimately become like Jesus. That's what we want. I get irritated when people say to me, like, oh, you followed in your father's footsteps. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I followed the call of God. I specifically did not want to follow in my father's footsteps. Like, I was literally planning on doing everything besides being a pastor. And when God called me to be one, my response involved the words, hell and no. But you see the God gets the last laugh. So here I am. So I I, want to encourage you in this, and this is an important teaching. Uh, We should all understand this reality. God will judge spiritual teachers more strictly. Okay? Now, let me point this truth out. It does not say that we judge spiritual leaders more strictly. It says God will judge them. Okay? This is an important differentiation. I've heard many Christians say, well, we should hold leaders to a higher standard. The correction is that the Bible holds leaders to a higher standard, and they're not accountable to us, they're accountable to God. So when people say, like, oh, we're supposed to hold our leaders accountable, that's usually code for, I'm looking to kidney punch my pastor when he's not looking, right? I'm looking to take you down, okay? And now, here's what the Bible says about leaders, uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Now, so do you see how someone could obviously abuse this passage, right? You should obey me. You've got to do what I say. A pastor could abuse this. A leader could, and many have. Some have. And so that's why you see guys on TV like, y'all need to send in your money because God wants me to have a jet. Do it, Right? <laughs> And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, where, why do you need a jet, yo? And I don't know how anybody could actually abuse this passage and the authority that God has entrusted them with because the same verse reminds leaders that they are accountable to God. So pastors are going to see Jesus at the gates of heaven, and some of them are going to hear, hey, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in, let's party. And some of them are going to hear, you got some explaining to do. (laughs) 
I don't want to be that guy. And the reason there's this burden to be judged more strictly is because God expects more. And there's a great responsibility when God's given a leader that kind of influence. We see the type of influence alluded to by James, that this small bit can control a horse. A small rudder can control a large ship. And a leader has influence. Many people can be swayed one way or the other by a leader. Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we have influence as leaders and people are watching us. And so that's why that that standard is higher and God judges them more strictly. We're accountable because people will follow us. So I want to be the kind of leader people can follow. I want the leaders in this church and, and many of you who are team leaders and life group leaders, try to make it your goal to be the kind of person that other people could imitate your faith. My goal, I want to be someone you could imitate in terms of how I treat my spouse and my family and my finances and my my physical health and my faith. That's what we really should be able to do with leaders that God puts in our life. That's the goal. And then Hebrews 13.9, the same chapter says this, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. This is an important warning for you. There's been people who preach, and they do a good job initially, but then they start to teach things that don't align with the Word of God. And, and all of a sudden, you know, their standards start to shift. And it's like, well, the Bible says that's a sin, but, but I don't really think that that's necessarily a sin. No, no. In fact, it, it might be good. It might be a good thing. And then they'll say things like, well, maybe Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Maybe that's a metaphor, and he's living in our hearts. Maybe, maybe there are multiple ways to heaven, actually. Maybe, maybe, maybe there is no hell, because God is love, right? Don't be easily led astray and follow all kinds of strange teachings. You have to recognize the difference between truth and falsehood. Right. Do you know your Bible well enough to recognize false teaching? Oh, you need to. I hope you do. It doesn't mean you have to have it all memorized, know every single answer to every question, but I want you to at least be at the point where if someone gets up here and starts talking craziness, you'd say, wait, 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 that doesn't sound right. Like, I, I got to go look at that because this doesn't seem in line with what I've learned and with what I've read. Like, if I got up here and started teaching heresy, some of you would follow me. Most of you wouldn't. Thank God. But some of you don't know enough of what the Bible says. You'd be like, okay, let's do it, (laughs) right? And that's how a lot of cults have started. I want you to know the word of God for yourself. The Lord gave the spirit of God to you so that you could read scripture and understand it. Aren't you grateful to have the word of God in your own language that you can read and understand and receive it and not just hope that some pastor like will tell you the truth, right? Like you have that privilege, Thank you. I'm going to. (laughs) Yes. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus warned us, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. He was saying that in the last days, a lot of false messiahs will pop up and say, I'm Jesus, I'm back. And you'll be like, you ain't Jesus. Right? And they'll, they'll be false prophets. They'll, they'll sound religious. And, and people will follow them. 
And what people will, will show up and they'll be like spiritual leaders and they'll actually perform signs and wonders. They'll do things that look like miracles. They'll perform like magic acts. I don't know what those will be, if they'll make like a dog talk or you know, an apple appear in there. I don't know, but, but even Christians, the Bible says, like people who go to church will say, oh, that's, that's really impressive. I want to see more magic tricks. Let's follow that guy, even though he's saying things that don't line up with the word of God. Many will be deceived, but I believe by God's grace, none of you will be deceived. Paul gave Timothy, his disciple, this instruction, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I I, I read you this verse because I want you to know this is the kind of pastor that you want to have in your life. You need a pastor that preaches the Bible, that preaches the word. Sometimes people tell me, like, oh, Pastor Ryan, I'm so, I'm so glad you preach the Bible. I love how you preach the Bible so much. I'm like, versus what? <laughs> like, sharing my opinion? I don't even care about my opinion. <laughs> like, who cares? Like, the, the opinions of a leader don't help us. The Word of God helps us. It says that preaching is for correction. Correction is like instruction. Here's how to do this. Preaching is for rebuke. Sometimes we need a good rebuke. Rebuke is saying, uh, don't do that. That's wrong. Do this. Like, we need that sometimes. And then encouragement. Preaching is for encouragement. You, know, uh, uh, you can do it. You're, you're doing great. Come on. God's going to help you get through this. He is in control. That's encouraging, right? We want all those things. So if you have a leader that preaches the word and does it the way that honors God, you can feel confident um, following their leadership. So I wanted to make sure I highlighted that, that truth in that passage. James 3, 2 says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad that verse is in the Bible? I hope you circle it and highlight it and memorize it. And the next time that your spouse starts to yell at you, you say, For indeed, we all make many mistakes. <laughs> right? And this is so true and so convicting for me as a leader, as a teacher, uh, this passage weighs heavy on my heart, and you need to know how seriously I take preaching to you. I consider it a privilege and a burden, because like all of you, unfortunately, I make many mistakes, and when I think about the times that I've gotten myself into trouble or the things that I regret, usually I said the wrong thing in the wrong way or at the wrong time. My tongue is what gets me in trouble more often than anything else. We all make many mistakes. And this this sentence here, for if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. That basically means like, if you had hope of controlling your tongue, you'd also be in control of yourself in every other way. We all make many mistakes and stumble. So if you're looking for rocks to throw at people who make mistakes, you'll find them. Right? If you want to throw rocks at me, there's plenty. If you want to throw rocks at your spouse or your leaders or your parents or your teachers or your boss or your pastors, you'll find rocks to throw. There's a lot of rocks because we all make many mistakes. So I want you to write this down. If you want to throw rocks, there's a pile. You got a lot to choose from. If you want to throw rocks, there's a pile and you've got a pile too. It's true for leaders and for believers. When a woman was caught in adultery, she was dragged before the Pharisees or religious leaders, and they did what is in line with the Old Testament to punish adultery. They grabbed rocks, and they were getting ready to stone this woman. You know, if we still did that, there'd be a lot less adultery. Anyways, uh, 
So as these guys were getting ready to stone this woman, Jesus came and he started writing in, in the sand and he said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And it probably took those guys a minute, like, wait a second. Oh, I have sin. So they dropped their rocks and they walked away. Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are they at? Where are they at? And they said, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. Go. That's an encouragement for us. You know, Jesus shows us he doesn't bring condemnation. He brings correction. He brings salvation. And he helps us become more like him. But he doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God. Right? So when you see someone make mistakes, whether it's a leader or a politician or, or someone in your life group, you could be one of those people who go, oh, let's grab a rock. Let's get her. But then we remember, wait, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, oh, if you haven't sinned, okay, go ahead and throw rocks. He was the only one who was qualified to stone the woman. You catch that? But he said, I forgive you. I bring forgiveness. I don't give you what you deserve. So show other people the same mercy. James 3.5 goes on to say this. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It, this is crazy. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Dang, right? Like, next time I'm saying something I shouldn't be saying, I'm like, oh, sorry, my tongue has been set on fire by hell. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is intense language. A couple of weeks ago, we preached about the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire. Now we're talking about tongues on fire. I wanted to title this sermon, Tongues on Fire, but anyways. The tongue sets a spark that can light the whole forest on fire. The largest fire that took place in Arizona history was called the Wallow Fire in 2011. And about 538,000 acres of land was burned in just 24 hours, $109 million worth of damages occurred, which is a lot, right? People died. Why? Because two guys let their campfire get out of control. Just a small spark started this great fire. Those two guys were fined $3.7 million. It's kind of like getting off easy considering what happened, but didn't seem easy to them, I'm sure. This is like a, a warning that your tongue can cause a spark that sets your whole life on fire. Words are powerful. The greatest of heights in human history and the lowest of lows have all come from people's words. Think about how Hitler stirred up Nazi Germany with angry words. Martin Luther King, he drew people towards reconciliation through words of love. Words are so powerful. This is just one of the cool things that makes Christianity so unique. Paul, the apostle, he said, yeah, I'm not really good with words. I'm not a really good preacher, but here's the gospel. Just kind of shows you that the words he spoke were not eloquent, but they were powerful because of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the message. Your words will build you up or bring you down. And it only takes a few words to determine the course of your life and the way it'll look. They'll either build you up or they'll light your whole life on fire. 
I could name off a list of celebrities who have ruined their careers because of things they tweeted. So I'm talking written words, too. Your, your whole life can get messed up because in a moment of anger, you said something you know you shouldn't have said. Some people have sabotaged everything they've ever been a part of because of the words that come out of their mouths. Their relationships, their friendships, their jobs, they get into a new situation and eventually they start talking and, and they get themselves in trouble and they say, well, this isn't fair. Why does this keep happening to me? You can tear your life down with your words. You can light your whole life on fire and not like in a good way. Christians will sometimes talk about like a life verse. People will say like, what's, what's your life verse? Or, this is my life verse. And what they mean is like, there's a scripture verse I really like and I, you know, I go back to it a lot. It really encourages me. I kind of memorize it. So, you know, one for me is like Ephesians 3, 16 through 21. You can look it up later. Uh, and, and here's another one that's really relevant for this message. This is one of my life verses. Proverbs 21, verse 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Amen. Praise Jesus. That is some good truth right there. If you don't get anything else out of this message, you came to church today to see this verse. Watch your mouth, keep it shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. It's so true, isn't it? That means don't post when you're mad. Don't send an email back when you're angry. You get yourself into trouble by responding when you're hurt. If someone hurts you, if someone makes you mad, wait before you respond. Just sleep on it. Just, just let it rest. You, you can come back and you can send that email tomorrow, but in the light of day, you'll probably see some things you didn't see the other day. Right? You'll, you'll realize, like, wait a second, if I send this, I won't have a job, and then I won't have an income. And then I won't be able to pay my bills, right? Like, instead of burning my house down, how about I don't send this email? Because if I watch my tongue and keep my mouth shut, I'll stay out of trouble. Thank you, God, for giving me that truth. I really needed that. I think I'm going to tattoo that on my arm, right? Like, keep your mouth shut. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> it's so good. It's so true. I hope that we could all learn that words can bring your life down. Words can bring down your church. It says that the tongue can corrupt the whole body with poison. And that goes for your personal life and your church body. Think about how gossip and division and complaining and negativity have corrupted churches. Some of you have seen churches like that. If you've only ever come to this church, you're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I... That's why I'm so grateful for this church, and I love this church so much. It's so healthy because people don't gossip and complain and fight. Amen? Some of this I'm speaking prophetically. Like, we don't complain up in here. Here's what it says in Proverbs 26, 20. Fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Maybe if your life feels like it's just burning down all around you, it's because you keep putting logs on that fire. Because when you complain, when you speak evil, when you criticize, when you gossip, you see what you get. Are you speaking words that build you up or bring you down? James goes on to say this, James 3, verse 7. 
People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. And he's kind of being funny there. Like he's saying, you know, you can get dolphins to do tricks and teach monkeys how to do sign language, but you can't get your own tongue to settle down. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? It's not a trick question. No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Praises and curses come out of the same mouth. That's powerful. That makes you step back and say, wow, wow, I, I know that's not right. Now that, now that he says that, that, that word is true, I, I receive it, and how can I praise God on Sunday and go out into the parking lot and swear at the guy in front of me in the intersection because I'm impatient? Like, that guy's made in the image of God, right? Like, I can't, I can't be saying, like, praise you, Lord. You are holy and, and loving, and then turn around and be like, I hope you choke on a taco and die. Like, like some people that come to, they come to church, like, glory and praise, I hate your stupid face, right? I mean, come on, right? Like James says, that's not right, because you can't draw salty water from a fresh spring. If you're a Christian and you love God, we've got to speak in a way that reflects that. We've got to speak in a way that shows that we love the people who God made. So I want you to take note of this, and I like to beat around the bush sometimes, so I'm going to say it like this. When cursing comes out of your mouth, you sound like the devil. Yeah. Now, when I say curses, we talk about cursing, we're not talking about four-letter words. We're not talking about words that get bleeped out. Some of you are like, whew, shoot, because <laughs> I said some of those already today. Now, I grew up in, in church, and in the environment I grew up in, you would think that saying a cuss word was like slapping the Virgin Mary in the face. People were like, oh, right? Like, I want you to understand this. God does not really care about the words and syllables you string together. Think about how cultures change, language changes, things that are curse words today weren't curse words hundreds of years ago. God's not so concerned about the actual swear word you said when you stub your toe. He cares about what's in your heart. When the heart is right, that's what God really cares about. Now, I think that we can, we can talk in a way that glorifies God. I think it's good to speak in a way that people recognize you're different than the other people who are on your job site. You know, we all know that there, there is a way that you can speak which does not glorify God. But at the same time, man, I think it's honestly, like, I'm just going to be totally real with you. I think it's kind of funny sometimes when people, like, I have people come up to me after church, and, like, they're not Christians, and they'll say, like, man, that was a good effing talk, pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks. <laughs> right? Because Jesus sees that guy's heart, right? He's not there like, how dare you? This is the house of the Lord. Right? I'm like, we all make many mistakes. <laughs> right? 
That's really what we're talking about. So cursing in the biblical sense is not a certain like four-letter word. It's this, condemnation, deceit, backbiting, gossip, slander, quarreling. Satan is the accuser of the saints. So when we as Christians speak curses towards other people, we sometimes sound like him. People that say things like this, you'll never amount to anything. That's cursing someone. Nobody will ever love you. That's speaking curses. I hope you crash and burn. That's speaking curses to someone. And sometimes people do it passively, aggress- passive aggressively. They're insecure and they're, they're not willing to just come out and fight. So they'll say things like passive aggressive, you know, like, oh, like, hey guys, I got a new truck. And they'll be like, oh, that gets terrible gas mileage, right? Like, why are you saying that to me? Like, oh man, she's a great mom. Like, she takes such good of her, care of her kids. And they'll be like, yeah, but she helicopter parents them. Like, I, it's like, why are, you, why are you being passive aggressive and trying to like undercut people and jab at people all the time, right? Like, like why do you got to tear other people down? That's just passive aggressive cursing, right? Speaking life doesn't sound like that. So I want you to remind yourself, next time you talk bad about someone, remind yourself, I sound like Satan right now. On the other hand, when blessing comes out of your mouth, you sound like Jesus. The way Jesus talks, very different. He says things like, I don't condemn you. Your sins are forgiven. I've come to give you life. He said, I love you. He said, you are my friend. That's the way Jesus talks. Jesus gives us words of life. Now, you got to understand, sometimes words of life are hard, They're hard to hear because the truth can be hard to hear. But sometimes hard words can be a blessing. Like when someone tells you, man, what are you doing right now? Like that can be a blessing. You know, when someone rebukes you in love, that can be a blessing. Like you need friends in your life who are close enough to you that they can speak hard truth to you. Some of you don't have any friends like that. You could come in here all kinds of messed up and they'd be like, oh, that's great. You need to have some real friends. You need to be in a life group. You need some community in your life. You need some Christian brothers and sisters who will pull you aside and say, what you doing right now? That's a blessing. Those are words of life. We want to encourage one another. We want to build one another up. That's one of the reasons why the church exists. That's one of the benefits of coming to church every Sunday. You come in this place, you know I'm going to hear life. I'm going to be built up. I might get torn down out there, but in here, I'm going to be built up. So next time that you're building someone up and you're encouraging someone, I want you to remind yourself, I sound like Jesus right now. That's the way Jesus talks. That's the way he talks to me. When you speak blessing, you'll live a blessed life. So here's the truth and summary of James's words. Words reveal your heart and determine the fruitfulness of your life. Words reveal your heart and determine the fruitfulness of your life of your life. We don't have to wonder what's in your heart because we can hear the words that come out of your mouth. I don't have to x-ray. I don't have to climb through your chest cavity to figure out what's in your heart. Now, God will judge your heart, but I can, I can get a pretty good sense of what's in your heart. Like, if you're an angry person, we know. <laughs> if you're bitter, everyone sees it. If you're full of joy, 
If you love people, we also know because your words reveal your heart. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. That's why like, if you ever get into a fight with someone and they just start throwing out like, man, I hate you and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And they can't, it's kind of hard to come back and say like, oh, I didn't mean any of that. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've got some issues to deal with. We can't just take back the words we say. And the truth is our words reveal what's in our heart more than we wish they did. Has Jesus transformed your heart? If Jesus has transformed your heart, we can hear it by the way you talk. I, I, can, tell, I can tell when God is working in my life because my words start to become more gentle and more patient and more loving. Oh man, I'm not perfect. We all make many mistakes. And none of us are going to achieve perfection in this lifetime. But the words you speak reveal whether God has transformed your heart or not. James kind of tells us, and he's kind of painting this picture, and he's using very hard language that it's impossible to control your tongue. But Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus does give you hope. The Holy Spirit inside of you does give you hope. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? Gentleness, patience. So as the Spirit of God starts to transform you and you become more like Jesus, you start to talk more like Jesus. You'll still have bad moments. You'll still maybe get irritated at times and say things and have to apologize, but you'll just start to notice that as you grow in your faith and become more like Jesus, it'll happen slower at times and quicker at other times. Right? You're going to just notice like, man, I, I haven't been having to apologize for my words as often as I used to. That's a good thing. When we find our identity in Jesus Christ, it allows us to speak life. When you don't have your identity founded in Christ, you're always going to be tearing other people down. You're not going to be able to let someone else be lifted up because it'll make you feel insecure. You, so you know people like this who are always undercutting and jabbing and, and trying to bring you down. Like you had one good day and they're like, well, yeah, but I remember the other time when you didn't do it good, right? It's because they're insecure. They're hurting. Like, you have a proud mom moment, and, and one of your friends makes fun of you and says something out. Like, like, why would she say that? She's insecure. But when your identity is in Christ, you don't have to tear down other people. You don't have to find the weakness in your spouse or your parents or your kids or your pastors or your boss because you know who you are in Jesus already. You don't have to find the weakness in them. When my identity is in Jesus, I can actually celebrate your strengths. And I can bring people around me who are stronger than me because it doesn't threaten me. I know who I am in Jesus, Amen. right? My identity is in Christ. Your success isn't a threat to me. James warns us, you can't grow olives on a fig tree. You can't get salt water out of fresh water and, and fresh water from the same stream. If you're a new creation in Jesus, the words that come out of your mouth should be fresh water, should be words of life. If you want to live a blessed life, you have to water the soil of your life with words of blessing. You can worship your way into a better reality. Some of you, you need to realize this. You can actually speak your way into a better situation. If you'll start to talk in a way that God would talk about you, like you could be having a bad day and say, this is 
still the day that the Lord has made. Like, I had to do this. Like, last week I was coming to, to work on Tuesday. I do work during the week. Some people have asked me, like, oh, so you have a job? And I'm like, yeah, I have a job. And, and so I'm coming to work on Tuesday, and I'm getting in my car to go to work, and, like, I spill my coffee all over myself. Right? So we all make many mistakes. But then I was like, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? Like, you can speak life, and it changes your atmosphere. Some of you have really difficult families because of the way that you talk. Like, your family life is rough, and it's in ruins. Your marriage is stressful, and it's intense, and it's the way that you talk to each other. Like, sometimes it's crazy to me the way that couples talk to each other. Like the person that you have promised to love till death, the person who you have said, I will overlook your faults and love you the way that Jesus has loved me, you talk more harshly to that person than anyone else in your entire life. And then you wonder like, oh, our marriage isn't as good as it could be. What if you started to speak life to the person who you're supposed to love the most, right? Like what if you spoke to your kids in a better way than your parents even spoke to you? Some of you are just tearing your kids down because you were torn down. You think, well, that's the way that you build them up. You got you to be hard on them. That's not what God does to you. God encourages you. He builds you up. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm patient with you. My kindness and my love, it doesn't fail. Right? I'll never leave yourself. Like, what if you talk to your kids that way? Water the soil of your life with words of criticism and anger, and you'll bring in a harvest of criticism and anger. But if you water the soil of your life with words of love and mercy, you're going to receive love, love and mercy. You're going to experience blessing when blessing comes out of your mouth. So we're going to respond as we get close to the end of this message here. You might be a Christian, and this message is incredibly challenging. It's convicting for me. It's convicting for all of us. There's not one person here who could say, man, I've got this on lockdown. I got my tongue in a headlock. The truth is, the older you get, the harder this can become. You know that Ecclesiastes Solomon said that desire fades? In other words, like your other passions will, will fade, but your tongue can actually get more bitter and sharp as you get older. We gotta, be, we gotta grow in this area and we have to allow the Lord to transform our hearts from the inside out and the Holy Spirit will give us encouragement and help in this area, which we couldn't accomplish on our own, honestly. So here are some scripture verses that might encourage you. You can jot these down maybe. In Psalm 141, verse 3, it says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You could pray this prayer. God, guard my mouth. If I'm about to say something that's stupid, would you please just shut my lips? Help me to honor you with the way that I talk. God will help you. Here's another passage. In Psalm, in Psalm 19, verse 14, says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This kind of reminds us of what James says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the words of our mouth reflect what's happening in our heart. So first we should pray, God, help the meditations of my heart, the things that my heart thinks about and focuses on. Help what's going on in here be pleasing to you so that what comes out of here will also be pleasing to you. Next time you're about to say something that you know is not honoring to God, I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna remind you and you're gonna remember this passage. Lord, guard my mouth. 
let my words be pleasing to you. You're going to remember that Proverbs, right? If I can control my tongue and shut my mouth, I'm going to stay out of trouble. And that's going to be God working in you and helping you to grow. He really will help you to grow in this area. And my prayer for this church is that we would be known as people who speak life. Life. That people would come here and and just say, man, I have never felt so built up and encouraged in my life. I love this place. I love these people. They encourage me and and they they remind me of the truth. and, And I can go further than I thought I can because I've got some friends who will speak life to me. Then if you're not a Christian yet, if you're not a believer, uh, there's always unbelievers in each of our services. Sometimes, you know, you came because your friend or family member drug you here, promised you free lunch afterwards. Gotcha, right? Uh, I want you to understand that there's hope for you as well. Jesus said this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So we know the reality is that for all of us, we're going to eventually face God, and there will be a day of judgment. For believers in Jesus who've been forgiven, this will be a good day. For people who have not placed their faith in Jesus, they're going to give an account for everything they've done and every word they spoke. And so Jesus said this this thing that's very profound, that your own words will condemn you or justify you. What does that mean? That means that if you're not a Christian, when you stand before God, the prosecuting attorney is not going to have to build a case against you. They're just going to play back the audio of your life. And everyone's going to be like, yeah, yeah, he's guilty. Or your own words can justify you. To be justified is to be declared righteous and free of guilt. So this is where we start to understand what the Bible says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've spoken those words and meant it in your heart, you've been justified, and the day of judgment will look very different for you. So maybe you're, not, you're here and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, you haven't accepted him into your life, you haven't received that forgiveness, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that before we leave. Would you bow your heads? We're just going to close our eyes, have a moment of privacy. And if you say, I want to accept Jesus this day, you can take that step of faith. And so I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not like a magic prayer, but this is just reflecting what is in your heart. You can just pray this prayer with me and just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. He died in my place, and he defeated the grave. So I'm declaring with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. You can just say that out loud. Just say, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. So God, help me to become more like your son, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, then God heard it, and a couple things have just happened. You've just been adopted into God's family. Your sins have been forgiven, and you have now received the favor of God. It's going to start to change your life in a lot of ways. Uh, You're still going to make many mistakes. Like, that's the way life is. But we know that when we make mistakes, we've already been forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Amen. That's why we have hope. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So if you just prayed that prayer, I want to celebrate with you. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come up here or anything. But if you just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus, we're going to celebrate with you. I want you just to shoot your hand up in the air right now. Just say, that's me. I prayed awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Come on, church. Let's go. Yes. That's great. Anyone else? Can we stand to our feet?